Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and Mr. Taylor, whose writings on the industry you can regularly read over on The Wrap, and whose musings on the Mission Impossible movies you can listen to on Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. He and I are recording this week's show on Sunday, October 15th, 2023. And to be specific, Drew and I are recording... On Sunday evening, right after the wonderful world of Disney, Disney's 100th anniversary celebration aired on ABC. and Right after for you, right right before for me. There oh, we yeah, go. We, uh, that, that, yeah. That's how that time zone thing works. And to be honest, I wasn't tuning in to catch the world broadcast premiere of Encanto. Don't get me wrong. Love that Oscar-winning film. But I've already seen Encanto, whereas Once Upon a Studio... Now, Drew, you actually saw this at Annecy last year. Yes, correct. Yep. It was complete at that point? or It was complete and people were losing their minds. How is this being categorized? Because it's a live action short with animation? I think it is categorized as an animated short, but I could oh, be wrong. I still don't get this. I still don't understand if they're looking to get an Academy Award for this thing that celebrates 100 years of Disney animation. Doesn't it? Make it invalid if it airs on television first? Okay, so here's the thing. Somebody actually wrote to us on Twitter Mm -hmm. and said that it was playing before the Moana re-release in theaters. And I wonder if it played before other things that somehow that amount of time equaled a week, two weeks or a week or whatever it has to be. There we go. There Um, we go. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I was always under the impression that this was going to go out ahead of Wish, and uh, which, again, uh, drops in theaters on November 22nd. But that's not happening? or It is not happening. No. Wow. I, it, it, it will be on other platforms before Wish even comes out. But I've oh, been okay. told to shut up about that. But I'm sure, I'm sure by the time this episode comes out, everyone will know or have seen it or something. But Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. All right. Now, speaking of Disney Wish, I want to take a moment here at the top of the show to talk about something that's happening in L.A. this coming week, which is the Animation is Film Festival, which is being held Wednesday, October 18th through Sunday, October 22nd at the TCL Chinese Theater 6 down on Hollywood Boulevard. Uh, and if you attend this event, you're going to get to see cool things like The Boy and the Heron, the new Hayao Miyazaki movie, and IMAX, no less. Uh, hang on. No, you, you're not going to get to see that. That screening at Animation is Film Festival's already sold out. Also, the standard screening of A Boy and His Heron is sold out. But that's okay. There's other cool stuff. There's, is, there's screenings of Troll Band Together. Likewise, Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget, and 30th Anniversary, special screenings of Ardman's The Wrong Trousers, and Batman Mask of the Phantasm. But why should listeners of this podcast really want to attend this year's Animationist Film Festival? Because... At this year's, uh, there'll be a Disney 100 presentation, which will feature Once Upon a Time on a Big Screen, as well as a presentation about Disney Wish. And who it will be acting as the MC of this presentation, you ask? Someone very familiar to folks who listen to this podcast, our very own Drew Taylor. I am so thrilled you got this gig. What an honor. Holy cow. Well, I'm not doing the Once Upon a Time stuff, mm-hmm. 
but I am doing the wish presentation part of the presentation, and I will mm-hmm. be joined, of course, by Chris Buck and mm-hmm. Fawn, and it will be a wonderful, uh, like I don't know, I think it's like thirty minutes of footage or something, and then we'll have a little chat and we'll take questions from the audience, and it will be great. It'll be a, what else are you doing on a Saturday morning that's that cool? You know, you gotta you gotta come down. The fact that Drew got selected to do this, and again, this is a significant thing. Okay, anyway, we're going to have more animation news in a moment, folks. But first, want to remind you that the news portion of today's show is brought to you by Touring Plan's own travel agency. So if you're thinking on heading down to Walt Disney World in the not-so-distant future, these obviously knowledgeable folks can help you plan your dream vacation They'll even toss in a free subscription to the touring plan. So if you're visiting Central Florida sometime soon, please check them out at touringplans.com backslash travel. Okay, so we were just talking about the Animation News Film Festival, which again gets underway out in L.A. Wednesday of this week, October 18th. But just a reminder, Drew and I are recording this week's show on Sunday, October 15th, which is when New York Comic Con is coming to a close at the Javits Center. And this con has been going on uh, in New York City since uh, Thursday of this week, October 12th. And you've seen, obviously, a lot of uh, animation news coming out of this thing. So let's start by talking about the news that just broke about season two of Monsters at Work, which I remember uh, when they first started talking about this show back in November of 2017. Can we talk about how late in the game Billy Crystal and John Goodman actually came on the project? (laughs) Well, I just think that there was... There were there were just sort of different phases of that first season in terms of who was involved and who wasn't mm-hmm. involved. And okay. I think that at a certain point, Pixar got really uh, interested in what was going on with it. Mm-hmm. They ultimately did not sort of take any kind of real role in the show. But um, yeah, it was um, very late in the game that, that John Goodman and Billy Crystal were announced and were secured. But, you know, mm-hmm. if you look at... Uh, at the timeline, you know, you could see that it was a while before anybody mentioned them. Yeah. And what's interesting is season one, which debuted on, on Disney Plus back in July of 2021, that was created and, and executive produced by Bob's Ganaway. He was Lilo and Stitch, the series, House of Mouse. Uh, he was also director and writer on uh, Planes in 2013 and it the sequel that Disney Toon Studios produced for that, uh, Fire and Rescue. But I was really intrigued by the fact that, did you see who's on board to uh, executive produce this time around? I did, and I thought it was very interesting. It's Kevin Dieters. He's the executive producer and supervising director is Stevie Wormer Skelton. And these two Emmy Award winners are the talents behind 2009's Prep and Landing and its 2011 sequel, Prep and Landing, Naughty vs. Nice. And I have been sitting here patiently waiting for, for Prep and Landing 3. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to see uh, Kevin and, and Stevie, you know, working on something, but it's like, oh, okay. But anyway, back to uh, Monsters at Work News Season 2. Uh, we're going to get new characters being voiced by people like Jennifer Coolidge and Jennifer Lewis, uh, Ali Wong, Paula Pell, who I, I've loved ever since 
playing Pavilion Perkins at the Adventures Club at Walt Disney World. Then Danny Trejo and even Alan Tudyk, all voicing characters. But the other thing, the, the big announcement coming out of New York Comic Con is they're bringing characters that were initially introduced in the prequel, Monsters University, the, the, the film from June of 2013, folding those into the show. So uh, Aubrey Plaza, Nathan Fillion, and Bobby Monaghan are, are going to be, you know, voicing their same characters again. Oh, that's fun. I really like Monsters University. I think it is pretty swell. I think the last half hour of Monsters Universe is just masterful. I mean, they just do such a great job. Whereas the first three quarters, at least for me, is a little off. But again, it's Dan Scanlon. And who doesn't love what Dan Scanlon does? Listen, Jim, it's a lot like our favorite Disney live action movie, Midnight Madness. Those first two acts, you know? So we got we to gotta give it up for that. Did I tell you I have been talking with the guy who's putting together the Midnight Madness documentary? The, the guy's out there trying to put together a movie about it. He needs, uh, ex, for lack of a better term, exposition boy. Someone to drop the necessary background facts and that sort of thing. So uh, I thought you were going to say he needs help. Uh, psychologically <laughs> for making a no, movie about no, no, I mean, That's such an interesting period in the company's history where they were, you know, you had these weirdly ambitious people at Disney who were trying to sort of bump out the borders of what a Disney film was. And so, you know, they looked at Animal House and like, yeah, we could do one of those. And it's like, really, you're Disney and you think you can do an Animal House. But but again, any movie that features the the big screen debuts of both Michael J. Fox and Pee Wee Herman, you got to acknowledge, you know, the <laughs> cinema greatness. All right, and speaking of greatness, Drew and I were obviously fans back in the day of the live-action Scott Pilgrim film. And we've got the new anime version that Scott Pilgrim takes off, debuts on Netflix on November 17th. In fact, we got a brand new trailer for this series, which is based on the Brian Lee O'Malley graphic novels, again, coming out of New York Comic Con. Likewise, we got uh, a trailer for Grimsburg, which uh, a new animated comedy for adults that uh, stars and is executive produced by John Hamm. That's going to be debuting on Fox in January of next year. They made a big deal uh, out of the panel Today, you know, to the effect of, you know, hey, the, you know, Fox is so high on this show that even before season one premieres as part of their animation domination block that they've already renewed it for season two. And it's like, like, I need to speak with Mr. Taylor about this, because is this the same thing we're seeing with the stuff for Disney Plus and the Disney Channel where? Yes, absolutely. You know, yeah, they just. So there we go. Yeah. It has to hit some some probably very easily notched ratings quota. Mm -hmm. There's okay. absolutely nothing coming on this year mm -hmm. or early next year. They need mm -hmm. the they need the episodes. So yeah, of course they're in the and they say we, you know we've renewed it for season two out of Comic Con to just get a mm -hmm. little news bump. And here we are, Jim, falling for it like a <sighs> couple of suckers, but. As soon as I saw that line, it's like, okay, I need to talk to Taylor. The other thing I wanted to say is that Scott Pilgrim is going to blow your minds. I think that's all I can say at this point, but it is so good. That's a great looking trailer. I mean, yeah. it just uh, love the design and, and love the animation, so can't yes. wait. 
Now, on the other hand, um, in the same window of time, Illumination's next theatrical release, uh, Migration, going to arrive in theaters December 22nd, and we got the second trailer for this Benjamin Renner movie. It debuted just over the last 24 hours, and I, have you seen this one, Drew? Baby. <laughs> I don't know what I'm okay. allowed to say yet, but okay. I haven't okay. seen the trailer. Okay. But I maybe have seen the movie. Okay. But I have to tell you, from the marketing of Migration has, for me, been weird. I mean, we got that first trailer back in July, which was mostly clips from Despicable Me, Secret Life of Pets, Sing, and Minions, and very little real footage of from Migration. And then July, mid-July, we got what I thought was a really good trailer for Migration. And this one that just came out within the past 24 hours almost feels like a step backwards. It's like, I don't entirely understand what Universal Pictures is doing here. I, you know, normally, they are great when it comes to promotion and they move from strength to strength to strength. And it just felt like with this trailer, it's like, wow, I am now less compelled to want to go to see that movie than I was from the trailer that came out in July. I mean, and the trailer for Leo, the new Adam Sandler animated thing from Logic, or uh, Animal Logic. Yeah. The trailer that dropped last month, the teaser, it was middling. It was just one of these things like, meh, okay. You know, where's the trailer that dropped three three days ago? It's like, I want to see that movie. That looks like a lot of fun. That looks like it has big laughs, a lot of heart. A really good trailer can do that. A really good trailer can turn that around. Leo drops on Netflix on November 21st. One day later, in theaters... Disney Wish opens, you know, the, the Wednesday of the long Thanksgiving weekend. And historically, this has always been a great time for Disney. It's a long Thanksgiving weekend. You hang out with your relatives and then you realize, Ugh, I need to get away from these people. What's at the movies? Oh, I will go see the new Disney animated thing. And, you know, so they always had a great opening weekend over Thanksgiving. But the world has changed. You have a brand new full-length animated film available on Netflix, where if you're looking for a, a two-hour-long respite from your family, all you have to do is fire up Netflix, as opposed to get in the car, drive to the movie theater, sit through 25 minutes of credits, and then eventually get it. Do you think something like this, like a Leo, will potentially impact Wish's box office numbers? Or Absolutely, and I think it'll be interesting to see how those both of those movies are framed on that Monday mm -hmm. in terms of what mm -hmm. Wish has made versus how many hours viewed has Leo been viewed. And I have said this since mm -hmm. before I could even talk about it, that Leo is going to mm -hmm. be a huge winner. And um, Really? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, th I, I saw some footage mm -hmm. very early this year, mm -hmm. and I thought it was great. The songs are great. Sandler is great. It's really funny. The animation is terrific. Mm -hmm. And I think this is going to be a sleeper. They have, you know, between Leo and Chicken Run, Netflix oh. has, a, has a, a good shot at kind of dominating the discussion mm -hmm. around animation this holiday season. So mm. I'm very curious just how that'll be framed on that Monday. 
normally Thanksgiving weekend, of course, Black Friday, the start of Christmas shopping season. And if you have a dweeb like myself on your shopping list, you're headed to, say, a Barnes & Noble to chase down the latest art of book for uh, a new animated feature. And speaking of which, the art of book for Disney Wish goes on sale October 24th. So please note that, folks. Earlier this week, did you see that story on Cartoon Brew about Nimona? That's the animated feature that started off as a Blue Sky production. They acquired the rights to Andy Stevenson's graphic novel back in 2015 and then announced formally that a feature based on the book was going to be produced by Blue Sky. That news came in 2017 with a planned theatrical release in 2020. And then, of course, Disney acquires Fox, only to shut down Blue Sky. And Nimona was thought to be a casualty of that closure, but it then got resurrected as an animated feature for, <laughs> surprise, surprise, Netflix. This was announced in April of 2022, and then that film uh, debuted to great acclaim and strong viewership on that subscription streaming service uh, June 30th of this year. And me personally really wanted an art of book for this amazing film. And, and again, as Cartoon Brew revealed just this week's, it's here, all 358 pages of it, only in digital form, which you can look at right now, folks, by going to this web address, artofnemona.com. Uh, art of Nimona is all one word. And Aiden Shugno. Nimona's production designer, uh, as well as being the guy who compiled this amazing multimedia doc document, swore to Jamie Lang. Uh, he's the writer who did the interview at Cartoon Brew about this digital art book. Aiden swore that if I have any limbs left, I'll cut them off to get a physical version of this book made. I want this thing out there as much as possible, if only to selfishly have eight copies of it stacked on my desk. And this is kind of a dangerous time for those of us who love physical media, you know, books and things like Blu-rays, because as Drew and I have talked earlier on the show recently, you know, Target has decided to stop selling physical Blu-rays in its brick-and-mortar stores. But did you see just this week that Best Buy has decided to do the exact same thing, Drew? Yeah, I saw Bill Hunt's story, which, you know, again, I love that Bill Hunt is still doing exactly what he was doing in 1998. <laughs> it's just really heartening. Um, but I, before we talk about this, I also want to plug that the art of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem came out this past week. Did you get a copy? Yes. Oh, he's, he's reaching for it right now. There we go. I yes. got my copy. And it, no, it is beautiful. It is just stunning. What a movie. They did a great job, and more to the point, they do a great job of delineating the design history and how they decided to come up with a new look. No, great, great, great book. Yeah, I don't understand the the Best Buy thing because from what you know, we've heard, you know, mm -hmm. 4K is going to be a real collector's market in the next mm -hmm. couple of years. That you know, vinyl records are selling you know better than they have since you know 1979 or whatever. Mm -hmm. It just it doesn't make a lot of sense. And also, have you been to a Best Buy recently? What, are they going to put more refrigerators in there? Like, what? what is going on? <laughs> That's a very keen observation, <laughs> Mr. Taylor. Yes, it does seem like the refrigerators are marching toward the front door. Yes, I'm, they are. I'm wondering the language here. Best Buy is ending sales of DVDs. Now, does that necessarily mean 
ending sales of Blu-rays, ending sales of 4K? That's that's an interesting question because you know they also have this huge market that are like just Best Buy exclusive uh, mm. steelbook packaging for yes, 4Ks, yes. and even even some yeah. exclusive titles that you can only get at Best Buy. That's where I finally found my DVD of Strange World earlier. This there you year. go. But again, there's there's the quote from the the Variety piece about this to the effect of uh, announcing Best Buy's decision to state the obvious. The way we watch movies and TV shows is much different today than it was decades ago, which, again, brings me back to Disney's decades. decision to de- get there we go. Uh, uh, Disney's decision to put Once Upon a Studio on ABC. All right. Speaking of which, uh, Drew and I will, will get into that live action short film animated thing in a moment. Whatever, whatever it is. Yeah. Well, whatever it is. But first, this. Before we get started talking about Once Upon a Studio and Drew's appearance this coming week at the Animation is Film Festival, again, being held October 18th through the 22nd at the TCL Chinese Theater 6 on Hollywood Boulevard, I wanted to share this letter that came in from Michelle T., who's a fine-tuner listener that hails from the Netherlands. Oh, okay. So here we go. Uh, He writes in to say, I have just visited the Disney 100 exhibition in Munich, Germany, and I have to say it was worth the trip, an eight-hour drive from where I live in Arnhem in the the, the Netherlands. It was also a confusing experience, though. Pretty much all the artwork on the walls had a sign next to it that said reproduction, and that included the famous Herbie Ryman Disneyland concept drawing. Some of the artwork looked so old and faded, though, that I really wondered if the signs were just incorrect or if Disney had done a really good job with these reproductions. When you see the carousel horse that Dick Van Dyke rode in Mary Poppins, you can't help but wonder, really? But truth be told, I wouldn't have missed the exhibit. It told Disney stories in a way that only Disney was able to. But the added confusion of not knowing whether I was looking at enhanced, blown-up pictures which I have seen at home in my books already, or something that the original artist had really touched a century ago, it was a, a bit of a disappointment. It made me wonder if if the exhibition was like that in the States or not. Because, of course, I could imagine that some pieces are too old or fragile to travel. But the thing is, one week earlier, I had visited an exhibition, Disney, telling timeless stories, and Groganham, with cooperation of the Disney Archive, which featured hundreds of original pieces of artwork. So uh, he sent us this note, but he also sent a letter to Matthew Adams, who is the manager for exhibitions for the Disney Archive. And what was nice is Matthew wrote back to Mr. T and, and Mr. Adams had to say, hello, Michelle, thanks for reaching out and thank you for attending Disney 100, the exhibition. Every label that indicates a reproduction is, in fact, a reproduction. However, Carousel Horse, (laughs) the Dick Van Dyke, is original, as is any other object not marked reproduction. And the reason for the number of reproductions is twofold. Since there are two units of this exhibition touring, one is in Europe and one is in the United States, we wanted to ensure that each unit had as similar as possible selection of items, so guests uh, attending either show would have the same experience. And such much of the art is one of a kind, the only way to achieve this was to create high-quality reproductions of the art that would also include any fading, aging, or imperfections that could be seen on the original. 
The second reason, as you pointed out, is that much of this art is quite old and fragile. And these items will be on tour for the next five years. So we were concerned that this was just too long uh, for the art to be on display without constantly having to change the art out for new pieces. So all of that said, heard your feedback and similar feedback from other guests, and we will be replacing many of the reproductions with original art at the next stop in London. And we hope you'll be able to make the trip over to London to see the new added original art. So the London edition of Disney Hunter, the exhibition, actually opened at the Excel Inn in East London just this past Friday, Drew, uh, October 13th, where the stateside run of Disney uh, 100, which finished its stint in Philadelphia late last month, opens in Chicago on November 18th. So anyway, wanted to share that, which obviously also ties in with once Upon a Studio, this eight-minute-long film with 534 characters. So when you saw this at Annecy, uh, were, were Dan Abrams and, and Trent Corey the, the two directors there? They were there. I chatted with them. They are mm-hmm. lovely. You know, what's, what I think is interesting about this short is that it really could have felt like a piece of kind of studio propaganda. But mm-hmm. they told they actually conceived of this thing on their own. They they came up with the idea while hanging out in a Taco Bell parking lot during the pandemic. <laughs> I think I asked them which, which one. I will have to go look at my notes to tell you which okay. which Taco Bell. I thought it was the the one on Magnolia. Uh, it okay. was not. It was it was in deeper Burbank somewhere. But you know they kept it secret for a long time. I mean. Jennifer Lee didn't even know that they were working on this thing. And it shows, I think. Absolutely. And I mean, I love that they sort of cooked this up during COVID in sort of classic COVID fashion that, you know, when they finally went to go pitch it to Jennifer, they had to do it over Zoom. But this was strong enough that they sold it to her over Zoom. Yeah, she greenlit it before the meeting was up. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I think what's so fun about this is it's not a piece of corporate propaganda. If anything, what's fun about it is the mixing and matching that the, the how there are these lovely character authentic bits. For example, I you know I love the moment in it when uh, Elliot from from Pete's Dragon is flying Cody from Rescue is Down Under, mm-hmm. just like the Golden Eagle did in that film through the building's interior space, and the kid is like, higher, higher! Or, or for that matter, Toad, it, it hijacks the carpet from Aladdin, and that's actually real dialogue from the movie, again, yeah. from the adventures of, of Mr. Toad and, and Ichabod, but I love that they found that lion, I'll show you the world, as in, I can show you the world from the actual song. And speaking of Ichabod, I love love that moment where Goofy almost takes off his head with the ladder. What about you? Do do you have any favorite, you know, character-driven bits or or, or stuff from this? Well, you know, I have not gotten to watch it again, and I Mm -hmm. have only seen it. I saw it in June or July. Okay. So I have not. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, I I was just enchanted by, by the whole thing. I thought it was absolutely moving and... So well done and so beautifully animated. And now we know what that incubator program was for that was developed 
with the the 2D animators earlier this year um, oh. or last year that it was all yeah. for this, Jim. This is what those people were working on. I did not know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Eric, I mean, you can see the Eric Goldberg uh, of it. I, yeah. he, it's so clear. Those Mickey and Minnie are so are so clearly his Mickey and Minnie. Yeah, I just loved that. You know, all those, all of our our, our friends, Randy and Mark and and all, and everybody, really pitched in to make this feel real, right? I would love to get a definitive list of who worked on what because evidently. Eric Goldberg uh, worked on Genie, whereas James Baxter came back and did Peter Pan. And it's obviously done by people who who know and love Disney animation. Like, for example, in the moment where Olaf is sitting at the animation desk, if you're watching the hallway, who floats by? But Robin Williams as the little lost boy from the magic of Disney yep. animation. Yeah. You know, and it's just sort of like, ow! You know, and this is just before the genie shows up. And and again, there was this one, you know, I'm sh- I'm sure you've seen the story about how they went to the Robin Williams family and got clearance to use a line that had been cut from the original recording sessions from Aladdin. You know, it's like, I, what was it? I, I haven't seen a fall like that since Rome. I watched this thing three times tonight. When what's fun, there's still new things to pick up, you know, three things in. For example, there's a moment in the men's room <laughs> where Gaston is combing his hair along with a number of different characters getting ready for this photo shoot. And if you look down the bottom, poor Chicken Little is struggling to be tall enough to see in the mirror to comb his hair. Or for that matter, if you're looking for Bruno from Encanto, keep an eye on Pacha from uh, Emperor's New Groove. Keep an eye over his shoulder. And there's two, actually, two great touches in this. You know, for example, when they're all outside the building, you're about to take the photograph. And Mickey literally turns to Oswald and says, after you. You know, which, of course, when you understand that Mickey came after Oswald, that's a great nod. And I don't want to spoil what Felix does in this, but Chef's Kiss... The other gag that I absolutely loved about this was Wreck-It Ralph walking into a glass door and getting temporarily stunned. And and Mickey asked him, you know, are you all right, Ralph? And he said, never better, Garfield. It's really well written. It's beautifully animated. And I, I've already spent way too much time looking at the final image of this thing, trying to pick out who's where in the photograph. Yeah, they've actually reproduced that photograph and ha- we're handing it out to cast members this week with oh, the good. with the 100th uh, name tag. Mm. So okay. hopefully someone will do a nice HQ scan of that photo yeah. so we can really dissect it like the Zapruder film, which is... No, but yeah. I know what I was about to say. This is the animation equivalent of the Zapruder film. Well, what's interesting too is it's it's capping off the 100th celebration, but like... Which is on which is tomorrow, which they're planning a very big strike uh, at the <laughs> studio tomorrow. As I was there on Thursday, and they were already riling people up. But a lot of the um, ephemera at the parks is being taken down already. And to me, this is such a lovely companion to the Disney fireworks show, the Disneyland oh. fireworks show. Which I did you ever get to see that, Jim? Not in person. Okay. Kind of kills me that I remember that night when I went back to the park in the rain 
and was doing my sort of run of, well, if I'm going to do Splash Mountain while it still exists, I better get on the ride. And I remember I was standing in the, you know, on the porch at the Haunted Mansion. And from there, you can actually see the castle. Yeah. And it was like, oh, they're doing the show. I'm in the wrong place. Yes. You know, I, I could have seen that while I was here at the park. And I just, I felt like such a boob. Yeah, I, I think it's one of the most amazing nighttime spectaculars they've ever done. It's so moving and so beautifully done. And to me, the Once Upon a Time, Once Upon a Studio and that were kind of like the big hits of this celebration, which you and I have talked about, was kind of a bust otherwise. No, I, I, I agree. And and in fact, one of the, the things I think that you and I both enjoyed, you know, when it came to the, the castle show was that that wonderful vignette from Treasure Planet. And in fact, yeah. that, that was another thing that was cool about What's Upon a Studio, that Jim Hawkins flying through the corridors of you know, the studio on his, his little rocket-powered surfboard. Well, what was fun too was that John Musker was at Annecy, basically in the same row as I was, mm-hmm. and to mm-hmm. look over and get to watch him watch this short was pretty memorable, Jim, I will say. He was there with his his Jazz Cat short um, at Annecy, and to see him watching that was, it was pretty, it was pretty special. That's so cool. All right, now, speaking of special, let's talk again about your upcoming gig at Animation uh, is Film Festival. So again, you're emceeing on Saturday morning the presentation about Disney Wish. So you're going to yes. be there with Chris Buck and who else from... from Vaughn, uh, uh, his his lovely... The other director. I don't think they're actually co... They're, you know, she's not a co-director. I think they're both just directors on this. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about the movie. We'll talk about the mm-hmm. footage. Mm-hmm. And we're going to take some audience questions as well. And Jim, I have an update for you. Okay. You and I were pre-gaming talking about this, talking about a <laughs> splash paperweight mm-hmm. for the splash bash. I now have a run of show of that night. If you would like to know that at 515, you would get on a, a bus in front of the Marina Tower at Disneyland and you would depart for the Edwards Newport Cinema Fashion Island Center at Newport Beach. I have no idea if that is still around. Wow. You would watch Splash, and then buses would depart, and they're for uh, the Newporter Inn, mm. where at 8 o'clock, poolside cocktails and supper party would be uh, going on. And quote-unquote, in person, Tom Hanks, Daryl Hannah, John Candy, Brian Grazer, and Ron Howard. And then at 10 o'clock, buses return to the Disneyland mm. Hotel. If that is not a great night, I don't know what is. And... Jim, you're going to even love this. If you mm-hmm. look at the logo on the Splash Paperweight and then look mm-hmm. at the logo for the actual movie, sometime yep. in between when this was sent and the movie premiered, they changed mm-hmm. the logo. And This is the original logo without the tail. So oh, the S wow. curves back into the to the P, no tail. So anyway, Jim, that oh. is the history. And that was done by our lovely researcher in the next room, Katie Everson, who's overhearing our conversation and texting me wow. this info. info. Is so there you go. So cool. Yeah. For me in real time to have seen Splash in theaters at a time when this was a company that was genuinely struggling to make movies that connected with audiences and to have this wonderful romantic comedy that rightly connected hugely with audiences back in the day. But 
Tom Hanks, you know, has these absolutely great stories about going to Disney and, and making Splash and how he just described going on the Disney lot in like 80, 81 as they were getting ready to begin production. And the way he described it is that Disney felt like an underfunded community college. I mean, it was just, you know, that they were barely in show business at that point. And the fact that here they were with Ron Howard and all of them making this movie and at the same time concerned, you know, will they be able to beat the Warren Beatty mermaid movie to the market? And But again, there's a lot of great stories there. A lot of great well, stories. Well, did you see also that they're, you know, they're tearing down the old Warner Ranch right now down the street from where I live in in Los Angeles. Yeah, they're putting up sound stages apparently, but they knocked down over the weekend the 1960s Batman Batcave. Do you remember Disney Auction? They actually had for a time an arm of the company where they were literally auctioning off props and costumes from various films and that sort of thing. And I remember writing a story once because they were were selling off one of the Hyperions that had been Mm -hmm. used to make Island at the top of the world. And I was just like, this is the equivalent of selling off the Nautilus. And how can Disney do this? And and I'm not going to say the name of the exec who reached out at me at the time and said, okay, pal, let me walk you through this. Okay, first of all, there were three Hyperions that we used in Island at the top of the world, and we're keeping one. So we we don't need three. We can sell off two. And when you get right down to it, the film is the end product. You know, the costumes, the props, the the stuff we use to make the movie, that's just grist for the mill. And, you know, the fact that, you know, we have props from the 30s and the 40s and costumes, that you know, that sort of thing, that that's the oddity. You know, most of these things just got destroyed when we were making movies. You know, as soon as you finish... Yes, there was a beautiful set they built for The Wizard of Oz, but they tore it down as soon as they finished making the movie. And so, you know, the whole notion of, oh, my God, they're selling off to Hyperion. It's like, you you need to be realistic about this crud. So it's like the whole notion of the Batcave from the 1960s being torn down. And it's like, well, yeah, but we still have Adam West on various different forms i i I wonder is there a 4k out there now of the batman the live action series from there's a good blu-ray set from uh from a few years ago i mean now i think disney owns actually those old episodes because fox no had the rights or something so yeah who who knows oh be interesting to see if that ever shows up on disney plus and it's just insane to just see these Brains in real life kind of ripping yeah, through history. I know, but I know. It's just whatever. You know, that's the heartbreak of, of living out in LA. It's so funny you mentioned, you know, which Taco Bell was it that they had the conversation? Because it's like, you know, so often I'm I'm driving around in LA, Vine or or thereabouts, and you see these amazing buildings that like, you know, around crossroads of the world that are being turned into a chicken restaurants, you know, right. just sort of, yeah. Eh, Hollywood is not, right. it's not a boom time for, for Hollywood in that area right now. No, uh, not at all. Not at all. Especially but, with the, um, you know, the arc light closed, it just kind of cut oh, down on a lot of nightlife down there and very sad. But they did just pull down the Cinerama sign because they're getting ready to redo that, right? Oh, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of speculation about what, Thankfully, the Cinerama Dome is a historically protected 
Okay, so uh, they can't. Building. Okay. But uh, the Egyptian is about to reopen, like, in the next month or so, which is very exciting because having that out of commission was a big, you know, it was a bummer. There was a lot of cool oh, stuff. Oh, no, 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 totally. Yeah. I mean, I, I spent an amazing evening there in the mid-2000s. They ran three of the most recent Godzilla films uh-huh. back to back to back there, and it was just such fun, you know, to be with a crowd that was there to see, you know, guys in rubber suits step on, you know, tiny little balls of wood buildings. Yeah, the last movie I think I saw there was a Flight of the Navigator. Uh, oh, wow. 35 oh. millimeter print. There were about 20 people in the theater, but we were very uh, enthusiastic. Mm. All right. So, again, this is why you listen to Drew Taylor, folks. And, and speaking of which, stories at the wrap, not to mention his wonderful Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, which Drew does with his equally talented co host, Charles Hood. The Blu-ray of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 hits store shelves on Halloween, October 31st. So you have to be doing something this month on Light the Fuse to commemorate this thing marching out. I hope so. I mean, the the special features are really, really great. Um, So I would Mm -hmm. encourage people to buy it on digital or physical. I am very excited about the 4K coming out at the end of the month. But yeah, it's it's great. So hopefully we'll do like a rundown. We've also talked about maybe doing a commentary track, which we used to do for the Patreon, so that you mm-hmm. can actually sync up us to your version, whatever version of it you're you're listening to and let us roll. So oh, yeah, oh, yeah. That would be cool. Yeah. Oh, by the way, we do have some other podcasts here at, at Jim Hill Media we'd like you to check out. We have... Uh, Disney Dish that I do with Lentesto. We have Marvelous Disney, which I do with Aaron Adams. By the way, Aaron has, uh, like Drew, his own uh, outside podcast well worth checking out, uh, 32nd Street. Brian Gone and I uh, will be doing uh, a brand new Looking at Lucasfilm sometime in the coming week. And brings me to our uh, Len and Mai's next project, Disney Unpacked, our first ever video series. Uh, which we produced in collaboration with veteran uh, manager Jim Schul. It bowed on Patreon earlier this month. First show is about uh, Magic Carpets of Aladdin, and next month's show is going to be about Crush's Coaster. Be sure and check those out. Speaking of, of you know checking things out, keeping tabs on folks, where are you now, Drew, come social media? I'm still on all the horrible, I mean, I'm still on X, although it get, just gets worse and worse every time I go on it. So I'm on X. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. on Instagram. Mm-hmm. You want to see photos of my wife and dog? It's a pretty mm-hmm. good spot. Speaking of which, I have to say I love those photos of you and Charles in the car graveyard. Would, oh would, yeah, would, was that your set visit for for Dead Reckoning? Or? Yeah, it was set visit. We were there last about this time actually last year, and they were deep in production on eight. Mm-hmm. And they will still be deep in production on eight, maybe at this time next year. But yeah, uh, yeah it was um, that was you know when you see the movie and you see the Fiat, mm-hmm. uh, we saw all the all the wrecked Fiats that they uh, tore apart. It was very cool, and that took like no. months and months of approval to just get that photo out. But we've got oh. we've got even cooler ones coming out for eight. So okay. yeah, yeah. You and Charles look very happy, which was again why. Folks, you want you know, want to keep tabs on Drew on social media. Me, I, again, I'm on Twitter, X, whatever they're calling it. Instagram is Jim Hill Media. Over on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. Final favor, I uh, want to ask you folks, if you head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review, well, not just the show you're listening to right now, fine-tuning, but also 
uh, light diffuse, that would be very helpful. And if you like what you heard, you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be cool too. That's going to do it for this week. But remember, if you are out in L.A. and you want to see an amazing presentation this coming Saturday at the TCL Chinese Theaters 6 on Hollywood Boulevard, uh, what time is it? it I think it starts at 11. And so I think I'll be on it closer to 12. But um, okay. Yeah, come say hi. If you see me, too, just stay, say hi. And I know we yeah, have so many amazing yeah. listeners who care so much about animation. And so, yeah, just just stop me and um, and say hi. We'll talk. Cool, cool. It'll be great. All right. Well, again, and get pictures. I want to see them. I okay, want to see them. Okay. All right. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week, folks. Thanks you for listening. We'll be back soon.